Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by these great companies that are giving us money to let you listen to their stuff. Bullshit, Kyle. We make this show. We make this show. You and me. Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by us. <laughs> Someone's got to pay the bills, Dan, because it's not our trading. <laughs> <laughs> All right, roll them. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. Hello and welcome everyone. So glad you made it. If you're listening to this day, night, it doesn't matter. It's a great episode. Get your asses into the China shop. I'm shopkeeper Dan. With me as always is Kyle, creator of financialneptitude.com. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm doing good. Uh, getting my butt kicked by some some new exercises I've been testing out and laid up all weekend with a bad knee, but Ooh. getting better, getting better. Today's interview should help out with that. Take my yes. mind off the pain. <laughs> <laughs> to a different kind of pain. Uh, today, yes. <laughs> we are thrilled to welcome the founder and CEO of the Market Forecasting Academy, Roger Corey. How are you doing today, Roger? I'm doing great. So good to be with you, gentlemen. Roger, uh, you got to. Okay, so you've been in this industry for a while, right? Yeah, yeah. But 1996 is when I started. But yes. you didn't develop your your uh, demand imbalance arbitrage until later. It was it was in 2010 when I really developed my own methodology. Actually. It's crazy when I tell you, I had to throw out 14 years of my prior uh, education and training and experience in the market because every time I had uh, just invested in, in the best, what I thought was the best education I kept my get my hands on mm-hmm. it, would, it would work for a while and then something would change in the market conditions and, and, and then all of a sudden it would start to work inconsistently or poorly or not at all. Then I was off looking for the next new thing, what's working now and that was like in just an endless cycle for 14 years. And I thought just, something's very wrong with this. Like, you know, if you go to medical school, you go to medical school once. If you go to learn how to become a pilot, you go to, to school to learn how to fly an airplane once. Well, <laughs> well, hang on. If you went to medical school in the 1800s, it might be a little different. <laughs> I'll give you that. I'll give you that. But today's doctors, <laughs> yeah. just, they get yeah, down and they go into practice, right? So. Right. Yes. They can't, go, they can't go time traveling, but they should be good for their lifetime. That's true. Yeah. And and the thing is, it just drove me nuts that I kept going back to learning, you know, something else. And and it's just like whatever I had before just was not going to work right now. I had to go learn a new thing and another thing. And it's just like it was always this thing. I find out just something is off. And I, I kind of threw up my hands and surrendered. And, and, um, and then I honestly, when I thought I was coming really close to something, mm-hmm. uh, I thought I had it. And I almost broke my computer monitor. I was going to punch it. I was so mad. And I, and I was, it was one of those days where I really broke. I just snapped. And when I do that, when I snap, generally I like to go to the beach. And I lived in Southern California and I wasn't far to it just, I took a drive up to Ventura County, a place called Silver Strand Beach. Mm-hmm. And it's a popular surfing point, but it's not like a tourist point uh, so, or place for tourists. And so it's not very busy. 
And it's nice because they have a paved area with, you know, benches and things you could sit down, watch the ocean waves, listen to the ocean. Then you can watch these surfers. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking off to my left. I'm watching this. And, and I started counting, which is, hmm. <laughs> I still remember, like, I don't know why I started counting these guys, but I started counting. Maybe just to distract myself from the from my just boiling over. But I counted 17 surfers. And so it, and it was such a pivotal point in my life that day because it changed everything. Watching 17 surfers surf. And, and take a bunch of waves and then kind of noticing that there's two surfers that are off to the left away from the other bunch. Mm-hmm. So the 15 were like kind of taking wave after wave, crashing and burning, getting some good rides. And I thought, you know, the guys off on the left, these two probably are amateurs learning from this group of probably regulars. And about an hour, an hour and a half into that, I realized a very interesting pattern. Hmm. Every time that the two uh, surfers on off to the left would take a, a wave, they would have a nice surf. It would be just a nice ride. It was smooth. It was just, it was good. You know, they weren't crashing. Right. Or and I thought, wait a second, those are the pros. And everyone else was a, an amateur. And I realized, wait a second, these guys weren't looking for every uh, wave that, that looked like it had a potential for a good ride. They had some way to filter out which waves were not likely to give them a bad ride. And those are the waves they took. So they weren't actually surfing very much, but when they did surf, they really enjoyed with, you know, that ride. And I thought, right. And I had the epiphany. I had that, that proverbial light bulb moment in my own mind. I thought, my God, wait a second. I'm in the markets looking for opportunities to make money, but that's what's blinding me from something that's going on that, that keeps throwing me off. And so I need to be looking for opportunities that are not likely to lose money uh-huh. and everything changed from that perspective, guys. I went, I could not wait to get back. <laughs> I almost got a speeding ticket. Huh. <laughs> I, I just, I was just able to get out of that one. And so um, I got home and literally my life changed. And from that moment on, it was about a year and a half to almost two years of literally 14, 16, 18, sometimes 21 hour days straight, six and seven days a week for, for all that time. I mean, it was, it has to be 10,000 plus hours in that little short period of time. And it was just, that was the transformation that occurred. And I literally had to throw everything I thought I knew about the markets and I had to approach it from a completely different perspective, which is pretty humbling. I have to tell you, because I failed math twice, not once in high school. <laughs> so I'm not the guy you'd think would come up with something like this, but but I, it was just pure grit, and I just you know was you know passionate and obsessed with this thing, and I was gonna just not give up, and so um, I kept at it until I figured out one thing after another. Kept and by the way, I had a lot of serendipitous uh, moments where just I'm I'm pr- I'm pretty confident there's something bigger at play here because. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes, you know, there's things that feel like they're providential. They're meant for you. It's it's your path yeah, in life. Yeah, yeah. It's a calling. Well, I've never been motivated by money like most people are motivated by money. Like, I, like I don't, I'm not someone who, oh, I tap into something and then I want to just, you know, go crazy with it. I, I want to utilize it like a tool to to provide for me what really matters the most for me is is I, I need time freedom and, and and an abundance of that where I can just spend my time where I want, how I want. What's important for me in my life is relationships. Mm-hmm. I love spending time with people. And that's really what kicked off my teaching career because I never intended to teach what I developed. I did it for myself. I never thought about doing anything as a business. But when people started asking how on earth are you always out socializing and volunteering time when everyone else is working? Are you trust fund baby? Did you win the lottery? You know, what's going on with you? It's like, no, no, no. And I, when I tell them, they go, wow. 
And one day at church, actually, it was after church uh, one Sunday, a lady came up to me and she said, um, she was actually the first person to ask me. So this is like two or three months later. She says, hey, Raj, um, my son just graduated high school. Would you be willing to teach him and mentor him on what you develop, what you do? Because he's interested in, in finance. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I, I used to teach Sunday school. I, I, it's very rewarding to teach. I'd, I'd love to teach him. Like, Why not? Mm-hmm. And that's how it started. And of course, the ripple effect from that just kind of turned into more people asking, wow, would you be willing to teach me? And it was just... And it grew into something I thought, wow, this is amazing. People are willing to value my time and my expertise. And like, you know, it's kind of silly. Like, why wouldn't you leverage your success and contribute to someone else's life and help them succeed right out of the gate versus struggling like I did all those years to figure this out? And it's just a, it it was a phenomenal experience. That's kind of what led me to where I am today. (laughs) Do you think that that struggle though is important? Oh, that is the million dollar question. The struggle is 100% critical to the success. I think people who succeed without really struggling are not really tempered and are not really ready to manage that success. I mean, you see it when like there's a statistic for lottery uh, winners. When they win the lottery, I think 90 plus percent of them end up in a worse position than they were before they won the lottery because they weren't really prepared for that success. So I absolutely... The struggle was necessary for me. And part of what I had to learn to teach actually was now I have a whole philosophy because early on when I thought I could help everybody that wanted help, I didn't have the wisdom of teaching uh, this sort of skill set, you know, for life mm-hmm. that um, that I needed to learn because people, you would be amazed at how you would take, you'd see like a, a grown successful adult, suddenly their, their mindset shifts into a similar mindset as someone who's just, you know, 16 years old, got their driver's license, and daddy just bought them a brand new Lamborghini. Not a good combination, right? <laughs> That's like the bull in a china shop right there. <laughs> so you don't want to invite that into your license. And that's literally what I was doing in the beginning. I didn't realize I had to learn to become selective. I had to learn to look for personality types, circumstances in life to make sure that that's a good fit. Um, I take a hands-on approach because I really love interacting and having these relationships that turn into lifelong friendships. And a lot of my clients turn, you know, feel like family to me now. And so I'm very hands-on. And I believe that's the only way that I can really impart this skill set with any intellectual honesty. It really requires accountability, mentorship, mm-hmm. uh, a little bit of hand-holding, being able to feed, you know, feed back to a person who developed it rather than someone reading off of a script. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah. That, that, so I learned a lot of those things myself, and I took pride in that. And so absolutely, the struggle was critical. In fact, if it wasn't for the struggle, I wouldn't have known to throw out so much of what I thought was important. A lot of the basics and what are traditionally taught are the very things that derail us, and we don't even realize it. I think we're going to get into that a little bit here today. I hope so. Uh, but first, I want to hear a little bit more about the selection criteria. Like, What are some of the things that you look for in the, the potential uh, uh, students? So that's a great question. So um, some people, you know, unfortunately, this, the, the industry itself kind of tends to sell people on, you know, yep. getting rich quick, you know, making a lot of money, you know, and trade for a living. And, and so, well, all those things um, in, and of, in and of themselves are not necessarily bad, but they're misleading also, because if you've got someone with a little bit of capital and, and they really need to make a lot of money, mm-hmm. um, they're, they're, they're unhappy in their life. Um, a lot of times, you know, they get equipped and they know just enough to be dangerous and, they, and they don't have the ability to really just build it and let it compound. They get impatient, in fact, mm-hmm. um, and, and they, they self-sabotage. It's very, very difficult to overcome our natural human tendencies. And I think people don't 
really respect much of their human nature. They think, well, I'm I'm Roger Corey, you know, uh, and I'm you know I I know myself. I'm like this, you know, and and I'm not thinking about well, but when I'm tempted, when I'm in the heat of the moment. What does my nature, my my humanity, cause me to do? What am I tempted? And, and do I have the kind of self control, the discipline to control that? You know, uh, you know, unless you're a Zen monk or some kind of a <laughs> monastery, you probably don't have that kind of self control. And so, it, it's just unwise to set someone else up for for failure like that. So, I look for people who have enough capital where the returns are going to make are going to be, you know, it's going to make sense for them. They can actually, they're, they're actually happy with that. It makes an mm-hmm. impact. I look for people who are not desperate, um, not trying to make up for something in a desperate way. Now, they, they may have some losses they'd like to make up, but they're not, they don't need them. They just like to kind of get those back. And they don't have that rushed, anxious, uh, you know, approach to, to the markets. They just mm-hmm. want something consistent. Uh, they want something they can be confident in, which which is the, the those are the cornerstones of what I've developed that give you con- consistency and, and confidence. It takes takes away the fear. You don't have the, the need to hold on to large drawdowns, no more holding on to, you know, negative downturns, no, no taking big risks, you know, it's just very mm-hmm. consistent. And I think that's the key to someone's ability to come in and succeed because it's not like, you know, Lamborghini, we all know what a Lamborghini, how it performs. You can't right. put that, that car in a 16-year-old who just got their driver's license. You know, that's not going to be a good combination. You want a mature person, someone who wants and will enjoy that vehicle but will not abuse it, right? Because any good thing can turn into a bad thing very quickly if we're not applying it, you know, wisely. That's well said. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Patience, I think, is one of the things that many of us struggle with. Mm-hmm. You said like you, well, you had your epiphany about the patients, but how did you actually go through and follow through on that? Because recognizing the need for it and actually being able to follow through with that commitment to being more patient is, are two different things. So patience is such an interesting virtue. So when we're told, okay, you know, if you're, if you're as a child, you know, uh, can mm-hmm. I go out and play? No. Well, well, when can I go play? Just be patient. Yeah. Um, Okay, that's not an answer. I, I, not, you, you've just given me another unknown, you know, and, and now I'm frustrated and I'm anxious. And I'm, okay, is it time yet? Is it time yet? Is it time yet? And it's very difficult to control. Even as an adult, we mm-hmm. refer back to this, uh, there's an uncertainty. I'm uncomfortable. I don't know what to do. By the way, uncertainty drives our fear and our greed. Both have self-sabotaging, destructive um, outcomes. So, well, what's interesting is, when all of a sudden you're asked to be patient but are given objective data as to, well, for how long? So, for instance, um, when uh, when it's not as hot outside. Right now it's 105. Uh, when, it's, when it's below 95, I'll let you go out and play. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, well, when is that going to happen? Well, let's look at the hourly forecast. It looks like that's in about uh, three and a half hours from now, you know? So it's noon right now. Wait until four o'clock. You can go out and play. Okay. Well, now, now I've got data. N- now there, I can go do something in four hours. I know, I know what I have to do, what I'm looking for. Does that make sense? That does. Yeah. You actually have. Yeah. 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 Uh, okay. So yes. <laughs> I'm not likely to, to, to keep bugging my mom when I can look at the clock at, you know, at a, as a 10 year old and, and know exactly what's going on. Right. Mm-hmm. So as an adult, when you have objective data that says the market's stormy right now, now you can forecast uh, where the where things are going. But mm-hmm. if you're forecasting where things are going and you know that's stormy, 
it's like you deciding you're going to go run your errands in the middle of a storm. You know, your, your chances for hydroplaning, getting into an accident increase dramatically. So wouldn't it be wiser just wait for the storm to pass and then go run your errands, go out and go to the market and do what you want to do? Doesn't that make sense? Yes, it Absolutely. does. So th- when, see, that is when you have that kind of information, it's not hard to be patient. You know, now it, it, it the, the, the challenge is um, – and this is why I don't like to take people on who are desperate or anxious where they need to make money. It's, it's better when they come and they want to make money. They want to enhance their situation mm-hmm. and they can work towards something where they can replicate their income and, and then and have a little part-time effort that replaces a full-time income over, you know, two, three, four, five year period, depending on what they're starting with. That's realistic because of the consistency that compounds that allows you to do that. But it, when you have an anxiety, now the problem is, even though I know I should wait, I don't want to wait because maybe I can just grab this little thing real quickly. I can make some extra money. <laughs> See, now I'm anxious. Now I start to rationalize, you know, foolish behaviors, right? So, right, so you yeah. see how there's a balance here between like the right personality, the right circumstance, as well as, you know, c- combine that with the right knowledge, the right objective data that we can act on that and be successful. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, I'm going to have to get off the call. I don't fit your criteria. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll get going there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's okay. You 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 practice on that. We'll we'll, we'll talk again a little down the road. <laughs> it's worth it, believe me. It's 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 a good it's a good practice to, to go down that road and just really work on what I need to do and and, and then come back when I'm when I'm properly prepared. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the strategy that you've come up with, or the method. I think is the yeah. the right term. Demand right. imbalance arbitrage, as you could call it. Yeah. So, so demand imbalance arbitrage is basically you're looking. So what I had figured out was most people are looking at technical analysis and or fundamental analysis or any of those sub, you know, um, subsets of those. Mm -hmm. And, but there's like six other factors that drive demand in the market. And so, and so often people are just blindsided by things they don't realize are going on. So you know, they, they see something, they see, well, there's a, I can see all these things, you know, fundamentally in technical analysis. It looks like it's just, uh, the market's poised to be bottoming right now and it's going to go up and give me a nice little, you know, push. Okay, great. So they go in and they figure, they look at some kind of a support level, price shouldn't go below this previous support that I've seen established. And so, um, you know, that's where I'm going to put my stop loss at. If they put a stop loss at all, which, you know, I strongly, strongly encourage. Um, yes. But, <laughs> Um, so now, and then they get in and then they, what happens is the market triggers them in, it teases them, it looks like it's going to go their way and then it comes down, stops them out and then runs right up to where their target was. And how maddening is that? Right. That uh, is infuriating. Okay. So now what happened there? Well, fundamentals said it should go up. My technical analysis said it should go up. Everything that I, I've ever been taught said it should go. Why did it come? And it feels like someone personally came in, nicked me right out of the market, and just took the right was laughing at me as, as I let the market you know, just carry on without me. What, what the hell was that about? Well, mm-hmm. that's called a prime pool of liquidity. What's a prime pool of liquidity? Those are areas in the market that an institution, a broker, a market maker, because of their insight on, on the on the order flow and the trade flow. And of course, there are people who try to play strategies off that. They'll say, you know, you got to know about order flow and trade flow and volume, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And that's just, it, it's yet another, just one aspect, because again, this is just the third in line from what we talked about technical analysis and, and um, 
and fundamentals, there's still five other factors, right? So, but so there's all these things that you have to kind of look at and combine. And what I did was now this sounds like it's a lot of complicated stuff, and and it was at one point for me. Mm-hmm. But what I ended up doing, and this was also kind of just a I had moments that were just seems to be just divine almost. Um, that kind of I, I started to see patterns and things I was correlating where I started to kind of melt this stuff, all these little different things together into one visually intuitive indication of all the demand factors in the market. Mm-hmm. And and that gave me a real-time snapshot of what's happening with demand in real time. And if I know where demand is in real time, think about what causes all price movement up and down. Mm-hmm. It's demand, right? Yep. Demand causes price to rise and fall. Now, because there's hundreds of thousands of interactions a day, you know, in the markets from, you know, globally all over, we see prices cycling up and down throughout the day. Well, what's interesting is if you can imagine your mind's eye uh, that I'm holding a rubber band between my my two hands, between my two thumbs, and I'm stretching the rubber band out. Mm -hmm. Now, if I'm stretching out just a little bit, not to its max, okay, we know that there's a a, a good probability it's going to snap back. But the problem is, um, there's more room for it to continue to stretch out even further until it reaches its maximum, you know, stretching capacity, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I have a very low probability or low risk that it's going to keep going further away from my other hand because it's so far stretched out, right? That That's mm-hmm. now a an area where if I want to take a bet that it's going to be snapping back, I have a very high probability uh, with a very low risk that I'm going to be uh, successful on my, on my bet, right? So in the market, we don't want to bet. We don't want to gamble. But what we, we want to do is invest in these very efficient, very effective, high probability, low risk opportunities where hmm. demand has moved very quickly and significantly away from price. So much so that you can see based on the analysis that price is so far stretched out away from where demand is that it's very statistically unlikely to continue moving away from demand. Mm-hmm. It's going to have to snap back to catch up to where the demand is. So now, if it's just stretched a little bit, that represents an opportunity. But but that's not a great opportunity. And this is the ability to assess whether I have a 50, 60, 70% probability that it's going to snap back versus an 80, 90% probability that it's going to snap back changes everything. Because mm-hmm. psychologically, guys it's very difficult to maintain a process that is working for me if I'm going to be wrong 30%, 40% of the time because my mind's going to play right. tricks on me. But when I'm right 80%, 90% of the time, you know, it, the, the, especially when I have controlled my risk to like a 2% or, or less of my entire investment capital, that's not significant at all when I'm winning eight, nine times out of 10, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I'm not holding on large drawdowns. I'm not stuck with these sudden market crashes. I can actually see when demand shifts very rapidly away from where prices. That tells me that within a day or two or three days, we're going to see the market correct by double digits very, very easily. So that mm-hmm. tells me, hey, move into cash. Or if it's in a, a, an intraday, if you're trading intraday or, or on an hourly or, or four hour or daily chart, it doesn't matter. Whatever time frame, whatever type of person you are, whether you like to be trading, you know, actively or, or passively or not for, you know, it, mm-hmm. it, all things in between, you need to know where demand is. Once you know where demand is, you have a lot more confidence and control about your outcomes. So demand imbalance arbitrage is just that. We're arbitraging or taking advantage of the difference when there's a significant imbalance between demand and price. And that's what allows us to be in control, consistent 
and profiting 80 90% of the time. But that also means that I'm saying no right. 80 90% of the time. Does that make sense? So we're actually seeing a bunch of opportunities throughout the day, throughout the week, and I'm only saying, you know, maybe 10 to 20% at most of the opportunities I see are actually going to be worthwhile for me to invest my money so I can have a you know, relatively stress-free experience mm-hmm. and be very fruitful and profitable at the end. So I hope that makes sense. That does. That sounds very appealing too. <laughs> it, it changes everything. I'll tell you. It, it's it, 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 what's crazy is the, if I get someone who's experienced versus someone who's inexperienced. The person who has zero zero experience tends to come right out of the gate. They have no bad habits. They have no you know baggage right. to deal with. And they apply this so much better than someone who has experience right out of the gate. And, and the person who has experience, it almost it's very difficult for them not to tinker and try this and try that, and they kind of extend the learning curve. Out. Mm-hmm. But, but, they, but they get there. And, but when they do, here's what's interesting. The person who has experience, because of their inconsistent experience in the past and uh, having disappointment after disappointment, many of them, a lot of my clients come to me with 7, 10, 15, some of them 20 and 25 years of experience, never having been able to find something that's sustainably consistent for them. They come to me and they're they're consistent for the first time and and they have control and and they're not stressed out. They go through this phase of like, I'm doing this, but I don't believe I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. What do you mean? I mean, that's your, your trade log, right? Well, yeah, but but it's just like it seems surreal. Like I, I can't. I've never done this before. I, I hope this thing doesn't stop. I'm like, no. Why, why would it stop? You have you have control over this. It, it's it's not it's not dependent on what the market does. It's it's you understanding what the market's doing and and only engaging when you have these low risk, high probability moments. It's like yeah, but it, it, it's just I'm afraid this there's going to be another shoe that's going to drop. And they go through this so like it's it's surreal, you know. And mm-hmm. it's it's just a. So they go through a period of like, I'm afraid this is going to end. This this good thing is going to end. All things, all good things come to an end, right, Roger? Well, right, right. not necessarily. I mean, you know, that's why businesses can thrive and continue and be a legacy. So this is a skill set you're learning. And so it takes them a few months. Then all of a sudden, somewhere around six to nine months into their trading the real money account, they're coming to me and they're like, this is crazy. I, this has turned into a form of relaxation for me. I used to wrestle and st- be stressed with the market. And my, I have this gut-wrenching stress and I'm just wrestling with it. I'm just, this is like so calm and peaceful. I'm like, and I'm like, recently I was like, yeah, it's like peaceful profits, right? You want to pursue peaceful profits. Like, yeah. Stress me trading. So that's, that's, the, that, that's the fundamental shift here. And I think when you're not stressed, think about what that does for you psychologically. Now you're less uh, likely to engage in self-destructive, self-sabotaging behavior. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So I want to read. I want to read to you a recent text from a gentleman. That's a, a more more of a recent client. Mm-hmm. And what was really cool about about his text to me was um, he had there was a day where he was uh, trading and he had an, an important meeting and and he because of the meeting he felt stressed. He didn't want to miss the trade, but he didn't want to be late for the appointment, right? For the meeting. Right. And so he forgot to, he, he, for, he just, he put the, the trade on wrong and forgot to stop. And it just shook him up. And I said, listen, it, don't ever, it, it, there's an endless, infinite stream of opportunity. You're never going to be short of opportunities. You miss an opportunity, another's going to come along. So there's no reason to ever have a fear of missing out. Okay. Because the one thing that's constant, it will always be there is an endless stream of opportunities. So it's not worth having that experience and stressing yourself out and having that trauma. Just mm-hmm. pass and just say, that's okay. Another will come along. Focus on what you need to focus on. 
and and be be stress free. So he sends me this text message. I said, I said, so now I want you to just do me a favor and only take one trade a day and lo- and be done. That's it. And then and I want you to kind of give me a a, a, a kind of a um, a report at the end of the day and at the end of the week. So um, this is as recent as uh, Tuesday, June twenty eighth, right? So. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, hey, Roger, took one trade today, close to 2% profit, turned off my screen during the meetings that required my undivided attention. Okay, good. <laughs> so, <laughs> so listen, that's perfect, okay? Then on Wednesday, the next day, he said, had a stress-free 4% day-to-day. Now I know what peaceful profits feels like. Have a great evening, right? And then uh-huh. Friday, he said, had a very successful and stress-free end to the week, about 3% each on Thursday and, and on Friday, up a bit more than 12% for the week. Very grateful for your help and guidance. Have a great weekend. That's, see, that's, these things, these kinds of texts just make my day, right? Because you're, mm-hmm. you're seeing that you're fundamentally transforming and changing a person's life, right? That's going right. to change everything for this, for this gentleman. And, and it's, it's that kind of consistency and that kind of control, and that kind of confidence that gives you a sustainable outcome, right? That's going to be something that you can reliably take to the bank. It's not going to change a year from now or five years from now, right? It's robust. It's as consistent as gravity, right? Because we're we're dealing with principles here, right? Demand is always going to be the thing that causes prices to go up and down. Would you agree? I would agree. And even when the market's being manipulated, that is a form of demand. And if we know that and we take that into account, again, we go back to the fundamental basic driver of all price movement. Demand is always going to be there, just like gravity is always going to be there. So we know that if we're going to follow a process that shines a a big, bright spotlight on where demand is in real time in the moment, then I know what price is going to do next, right? Mm -hmm. And I know the elasticity of price. If I don't see it stretched out away from demand enough, because we have a way to look at that as well, obviously. And it's just, you know, by the way, if you think about, gosh, Roger, this sounds really complicated. You know, there's, you're taking all these factors well, think about all the complicated factors that come into, uh, you know, your car when you're driving your car and knowing how much fuel you have left to know how far you can take your car. So if you have a 250 mile road trip ahead of you and you have a quarter tank of gas left, you can see that you've got a quarter tank of fuel. Well, there's a bunch of things that are going on behind the scenes for your, basically your car to tell you that there's a quarter tank of gas left, right? Right. So... You don't have to worry about what's co- the complicated stuff behind there. All you have to do is visually look at that indication, and you can say, oh, quarter tank of gas, there's no way that's going to get us 250 miles, so we're going to have to stop and refuel. Well, that's data. That's objective. It's not something that's subject to anyone's interpretation. I don't think anyone who drives has any experience driving is going to you know, disagree with you that a quarter tank of gas won't give you 250 miles, right? <laughs> so that kind of it's that kind of objectivity that allows you to have that calm, control, confident experience in the market and that's sustainable so i I hope i hope that kind of that visual helps helps out yeah um i do want to talk a little bit more about like what do you mean by demand like how are you identifying pockets of demand yeah how do we measure demand yeah yes exactly yeah okay so so basically um at one point i used to have all these you know thanks to the the internet you could pull all kinds of data now right Mm -hmm. so so you could pull news data and and there's all these algorithms that tell you what what the potential impact on news and all this stuff so i had like more than a dozen indications and four different uh monitors at one point initially to give all give me all this stuff and it was so overwhelming and it took me so long and I had to, back then, I had to kind of, my minimum time frame, like if I, if I wanted to trade intraday, mm-hmm. my minimum time frame was 15, a 15-minute 15 chart, right? Right. Um, 
But then as I started seeing correlations, I started, I was able to begin to combine those different things. And so if you think about, you've got geopolitical forces, including central bank and macroeconomic effects, you've got volatility in its different phases, you've got market sentiment, you've got liquidity levels, which includes volume as well as order flow and trade flow. But then you've got prime liquidity pools I talked about, which is the area that is someone who's privileged in like a like a an invest you know an institution a broker a market maker they they see things that the uh, amateur trader does not see or investor can't see right and so they they know where the market can kind of stretch so that they can see a, a pool of liquidity where they can go and target throw a little bit of their weight there they can go and that that's where you see a broker that can stop hunt right you know and, and invest, investment banks will trade against their own clients right so <laughs> you get stop hunted right they run your stop but they know that there's a pool of liquidity that can kind of expand and then the rest of the market's gonna it, they're gonna tap something that's gonna cause the rest of the market to trigger and run back up in the direction where the demand really is where you've got a lot greater pool of liquidity pulling price back to, to it so those prime liquidity pools are areas where the market's going to be manipulated now it's not always manipulated because no one's always watching 100 percent of the time we're humans mm -hmm. we're imperfect so even those guys who are like who have an edge who are on the inside track they're not going to be 100 percent on top of everything so but being able to take advantage and seeing okay or not take advantage but take into account that this area between this price and this price is, is an area where the market can get manipulated. It And that's often below or above a particular level of support or resistance, depending on the direction you want to take. Right. Uh, up, down or sideways, doesn't it? We don't care. But um, what matters is that you know where those areas are so that you can take them into account. Then if an event happens, you'll be just like chuckling as you see the market go run other people's stops and then... You know, you're still part of that and you're, you're profiting, you're riding on those coattails because you can see that that's part of the analysis process. So that's something that has, that's part of my process also. You've got imbalances between supply and demand. And of course, then last but not least, and it's the reason why it's at the end, because so many people depend on technical analysis. And guys, here's a major aha moment for a lot of people. Now, technical analysis includes things like Fibonacci, Elliott Wave, GAN, you know, and all the different things that you can, you know, RSI, you know, Kettler uh, uh, channels and, you know, mm -hmm. anything you think of, right? Bollinger Bands, all these things. Um, well, those things are all derived from price. So right. when you have price as a lagging indicator itself to demand, and then you take an indicator that's actually lagging, it's derived from price. So you have a lagging indicator on top of a lagging indicator. <laughs> right? So people don't think about that. It's like, well, no wonder you're being blindsided and you're behind and you're being surprised because, and it's the last thing on my factors of, you know, eight factors of, of you know, the major factors that, that move price, right? And so those things, when you look at them, you need to look at them in a combined fashion where you can see, okay, the, the combined impact of all these together when I, when I was able to put them into this one visual indication at the bottom, it kind of acts like a fuel gauge. It kind of what's going to power price, you know, and it's going to power it up or down. Uh, it's just just there to see. And you look at it and go, oh, th there's prices, you know, down at some price level. And yet uh, this visual indication is telling me that the that there's way more bulls and, and that where the demand is is back, you know, let's say 10 points or $10 or whatever you want to, you know, it's way above where it is at now, you know that price is at an unsustainable low and the majority of the demand is up well above. It's now, you know, the market's going to be 
It has to come up and come up and meet that demand. So when you look at the combined impact, you don't have anything that's really surprising you now. And that's what gives us the level of accuracy because you're actually focused on not some trigger, you know, I see a price pattern or a, a moving average cross, crossover or some other thing that says buy now. Uh, it could be even as simple as someone's newsletter. It doesn't matter. But you want to have a process where you can go validate and qualify that. It's like it's a, it acts as a risk filter. So you can apply this risk filter and go, okay, I'm, I'm getting a signal here. I don't care how I got it, whether it's a price pattern or anything else I, I, or, or a robo-advisor even, right? Right. Something that says, here's a good time to buy or sell short or whatever. Well, I, I do my analysis. I go, well, where's the demand at versus where price is at? Oh, well, demand's not that far away from price. So whatever's going to happen with price, it's not significant. That's going to kind of put me under stress because anything can happen there. That's a 50-50 or a 60-40. That's not great. So you know what? I'm going to pass on that. Now, it looks good on the surface. That looks like a great signal. But when I do my risk analysis and look at where the real-time demand is, mm -hmm. all of a sudden, it's not so sexy. So it's like, okay, that's easy to say no to. And then when I look at another signal, Oh, oh, wow. Demand so far away from price. My goodness, this is going to be easy peasy profit. So I take that one. I've got an 80 or 90% probability for that hitting. Boom. It's easy money. It's like, it's, this is crazy. It feels like I'm stealing candy from a baby. This is, this is, can I sustain this? And that's what kind of gets surreal for people. It's like, that was the easiest one I've ever made. Is that, can, can I sustain this? Well, well, yeah, that's, that's what you're doing. That's, you know, that's just a, it's like a, principle right now it's like gravity it's just always going to be there it's like wow you know so it's it's a fascinating uh transformation you see where people have to really shift their mindset away from the traditional ways of thinking to this because it makes it very efficient right because whether you're a long-term investor or a short-term investor or intraday when you know real-time demand is you now have the objective data to be able to very confidently very accurately engage the market and have very consistent outcomes and and you no longer have to hold on to large drawdowns take big risks or mess with the inconsistency that everyone else is experiencing mentioned the multiple time frames is uh have you tried your method on different time frame like swing trades day trades yes. long-term holdings yeah so um interestingly there are seasons where you could forecast things weeks and months in advance uh and then and you'll be able to see that the there's the environment for that. We are currently in an environment where you cannot do that. And you can see that it's like, it's almost like if you have very stormy weather and you've got patches of like where there's a break in the clouds or break in the storm, mm -hmm. it, those are not times when you should be thinking about, you know, picnicking or, you know, it's just, it's, they're like temporary short breaks in the storm. So you can see that this environment is not conducive for me to think about planning uh, anything out, right? So I'm just going to have to hold, you know, sit home and wait for this thing to pass. And so and right now, we're in an environment where really you can't go with any confidence beyond a day or two or three at the most mm -hmm. to forecast what's going to happen. You're going to have to have a finger on the pulse and it's just, you know, it's just a few minutes for someone who is looking at, at the longer term view. Um, just a few minutes a day will help them manage their longer term portfolio. But then you've got the person who's on a one minute chart, right. you know, they're, they, they, they're, they want to scalp or they want to just intraday trade and that's fine. They don't have to trade in the, in the regular sense of the word where you're speculating on outcomes. They can actually invest in those minute cycles, right? Because because of the hundreds of thousands of interactions, that price actions moving, you're always inevitably seeing, see, here's what happens. Demand always moves first and then price follows. Now, mm -hmm. depending on how quickly demand shifts, 
is what causes price to sometimes overshoot and then stretch out and then come back and snap back. You know, it's, so it's always kind of, it's this pendulum swinging back and forth consistently. So what we're doing is we're seeing these cycles, whether it's on a daily, weekly, monthly, or even every minute on a minute chart. So everything in between, it doesn't matter. Whatever you have an interest in, it actually serves you. It doesn't, there's no degradation of accuracy. Mm-hmm. As so long as you're not going too far out when the environment's not really conducive and you'll know because it's like I, there's, I can't see anything beyond the next day or two or three or a week at the most, mm-hmm. you know, currently. There are other times, yeah, you're fine. So it's really applicable to any time frame and it's just as accurate. And it actually, people sometimes think that this is, they, they lose sight of the fact that this is an analysis model. So it's it's not something that, it's not a strategy where um, it only works on a particular symbol or a time frame or an asset class. No, this works on every time frame, on every symbol, any asset, any, you know, whether it's crypto, commodities, futures, index, stocks, Forex, it doesn't really matter, right? In mm-hmm. fact, you have people who like to turn options. Well, don't you need to know what the underlying asset's going to do so that you can have a successful options trade? So you really need to apply this analysis even for an options trade, right? Mm-hmm. So does that answer the question? I, if I... I forgot the question, actually. <laughs> you were asking about the uh, the time frames, multiple time frames. Oh, the time frames. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's a, it really is a, just a, a very different way of approaching the market. Um, it's a paradigm shift for a lot of people. And they, I, I get clients that are, you know, like I said, who are very experienced and they come to me. I tell them, you really need to think about, you need to throw out everything you think you know about the markets because I'm going to take things, even like the basics that you know, we're going to cover the basics initially before we get into the meat and potatoes uh, down the training and you really you're going to notice that if you if you think that you know the stuff Mm -hmm. you're not going to be looking for how i redefine and and apply things differently and you're going to skip and skim some of the nuances so you really need to be asking yourself as you go through the basics that you think you know okay i wonder what roger's going to show me here that i have that i don't know already so your mind is open and looking to absorb the new information so that you don't skip unwittingly those little nuances because you're kind of your mind is bored oh, i already know this stuff i just want to get through it and i just want to get to the meat and potatoes no that that is part of the meat and potatoes it's a very important part <laughs> right. of what you're doing does that make sense oh yeah one thing i'm struggling with though is understanding what you mean by demand because when i think of demand i think of looking at a dom on a futures chart and seeing where all the bids are at like to me that's the demand those are all the people trying to buy right now yeah Yes, good point. So that is that's an aspect of demand you're seeing because you're seeing you know the number of you know uh, buyers and sellers there, right? So that's mm-hmm. just one thing. But the but what you're not seeing is well, how far you know what what is that going to do for price? Have you ever seen um, you know uh, on the dom something that kind of reflected? Oh, there's a lot of you know th- this looks like if I buy here, I, sh- I should get a real you know quick good profit on this, and then it, and and then all of a sudden these things kind of disappear and it goes away and, and, and you don't get the outcome that you're thinking. So it's a little bit of a hit or yeah. miss, right? Like like a spoofed order, you mean? Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Yeah. So, cause even following the DOM and any of those things, it's it, people like to trade divergences. Um, any of these things individually on their own, they're going to provide hit or miss experiences. But when you start to combine all the different factors. So when we go back, we look at geopolitical forces, mm-hmm. right? Central bank, economic, uh, macroeconomic effects, uh, fundamentals, that's your kind of Graham Dodd, Warren Buffett style forces. Volatility, that's affecting demand, right? Market sentiment, mm-hmm. that's affecting demand. You can have something that's very fundamentally solid, strong, but the CEO says something and it falls out of favor and the market sentiment is like, oh, I hate this company. And then and the, 
it crashes, right? It can collapse right. based on just a, a, a tweet. So, it, so fundamentals alone isn't enough. Market sentiment alone isn't enough. So all these things that people try to kind of um, almost have a silver bullet for, you know, oh, it's <laughs> cycle trading um, or, you know, uh, divergence trading or order flow or trade flow or Fibonacci or we're going to, well, it's all. And, and then they, they get in, they get excited, but then they keep having this hit or miss. Well, well why? Because they have a level of uncertainty that they're consistently wrestling with. See, I think the, the big shift here, guys, is, is this. When you have something that's caught your attention and you're interested in, mm-hmm. you have no idea until you commit to it whether it's going to be successful or it's going to be a stressful hold and, and end up being a, a, a loss, right? You're not going to know until you get commit to it. Well, the difference is now when you apply this analysis model and you know where the real-time demand is, you know before you commit with no less than an 80 to 90% analysis accuracy that it's going to hit your target or it's going to be stressful hold and, and, and likely into a, uh, turn into a, a negative uh, experience. So, so you, you see the sharp contrast there? It's knowing before you commit what to expect. I, uh, oh, go ahead, Dan. Sounds yeah, like I was just going to say, I, I, I still doesn't seem to, to, to help me wrap my head around like how, how, we're fi- how are we figuring out demand if it's not just like reading the DOM or measuring the volume? Yes. So down below price on my charts, part of what I developed is, remember I talked about that fuel mm-hmm. indicator? Mm-hmm. It's, so it's a kind of a visually, um, it's a visually intuitive thing you look at and you could see it's, it's showing you where the real-time demand is, and, and you can look at it, and it shows you kind of like, okay, let's just say uh, price is at it. Let, let's just talk about Apple, and, and, and we'll just yep. use round numbers. Apple's at 100 bucks, okay? And, well, you can see the demand is equal to when price was back at, at $70. And actually, a recent example was Tesla. Tesla, when it was at 1000 recently, okay, mm-hmm. when you looked at when, – when you – Put this little visual kind of fuel indicator below price, which is showing you all the demand factors combined together as an aggregate total. And it's showing you, okay, when it was up at 1,000, the demand was equal to where it was when it was back in the 700s. Instantly, you knew that Tesla was at an unsustainable high and that within a day or two or three, it's going to correct and come back down to the 700s. And and it's exactly what happened. Interesting. Okay. Does that does does that answer your question? Uh, I I know that that's probably something proprietary, so it's kind of hard to really fully explain. But um, so you've got you've got an indicator. It, yeah, it, it's an indicator that's a leading indicator, not a lagging indicator, right? So it's, it's it, it, which is very different than what people are used to having, right? You, people mm-hmm. are used to having indicators that are derived from price strictly, and they're and they're they're lagging by nature. Right. This is a leading indication, so it's it's telling you what you can expect based on where the demand is in real time. So again, the best way I can help you connect the dots is if you think about when you sit in the car and you look at your fuel gauge. And so you're interested in a 250-mile drive. So you have an interest. There's an opportunity for you to take a road trip, and it's it's 250 miles long, you know? Right. So And you see that you've got a less than a quarter of a tank of gas. You know immediately that that's not going to get you 250 miles, right? Right. Right. So it's the same exact thing on your chart. You, you see an opportunity in your chart and you go, okay, this looks like a great opportunity to be buying into the market. And you're going, but wait a second, down here, my fuel indicator is telling me that it's, 
it, the demand is well below where price is at currently. So, so if it's well below where price is currently at, there's no way I can expect it to go even higher with any real reliability, right? With any real confidence. So rather than thinking of demand as like actually buyers, like ready to place their orders, you're thinking of demand more as a, um, more as a, um, a measurable quantity. Yes, exact, precisely. That's an excellent way to, you know what? I'm going to write that one down. I'm going to take no. it from you if you don't mind. Feel free. So if I were to join the Market Forecasting Academy, you would, do you walk through how you're measuring this demand? So I teach you the process of how to, so, so, the, so the process, now how I've put it all together is, the, is proprietary, but the process itself is what I teach you is a life skill that you take and use for the rest of your life. And there's never a version 2.0 and there's never the next new thing. I've been doing this for, you know, more right, than 10 years, 12 right. years now. But you're, 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 you're teaching how to read the chart with your indicator, to be clear. That's, that's what we're talking about. Co- correct. Okay. Yeah. And so actually, and, and lest anyone make a mistake of thinking the magic's in the indicator, the indicator alone is just kind of part of the, the fuel gauge, right? But it's yeah. the process of how we interpret that and put that together. That process is the skill that, that helps you understand how to assess where real-time demand is. Because we don't want to look at the market from just one time frame and indication that we have here and that's it. Because that would be like you trying to go out and buy a diamond, you know, and then you're looking only at one facet, one side of the diamond and, and not looking all at all the different facets all the way around, right? Because mm-hmm. you can have a flaw on the opposite side. And if you're not looking at that, that's going to be a completely different valuation for your diamond. So we want to, we have a 360 degree d- degree view of the market. And, and that is, uh, we get there through the process of how we interpret this information visually. And it's very visually intuitive. So it's like, I mean, you know, it's like playing a video game. It's not anything complicated. You don't have to do any math. You don't have to know any math. Uh, Again, don't forget, I I failed math twice in high school, not once, right? And by the way, here's an interesting story. I didn't know if I was going to end up graduating high school until the morning of my graduation at 7.45 in the morning. Oh, no. By guess who? My economics teacher of all subjects, <laughs> Mr. <laughs> would not let me know if he was going to let me graduate. I'm going to repeat my last year of high school until that morning. Oh, just no. me. Was, like, 7.45, he said, Corey, all right, here, get out of my face. I don't have to deal with you for another year. Go graduate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I, I awesome. still have nightmares occasionally of uh, that I've hadn't finished high school like something comes back and it's like oh you never took this class so you need to get your degree yeah yeah oh that's a terrible dream (laughs) as i gotta tell you this does not require any kind of academic background doesn't you know i have you know what's funny is i'll have an engineer Mm -hmm. who'll sit there and can't help but wanting to know why and how and he'll try and this and try that he instead of just following my process and doing what he's supposed to do He's tinkering and messing around, putting his own spin on it, trying to figure out why it never worked out before uh, before me. How come? How, how did I figure this out? Who am I? You know, I'm not as smart as he is. Well, get it. <laughs> and then his wife will come up and says, "What's going on with my husband? Why hasn't he gone live yet?" Like, well, would you like to ask him? And he's like, "Ah, oh, jeez, you know." Well, go ahead, tell her. I'm just not willing to do what Roger's telling me yet. Why? This is our retirement. You're wasting time. <laughs> and then she'll say something like this. Um. Gosh, I wish I was smart enough to do something like this. I I I do this. I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a second. What do you mean you wish you were smart? Oh, Roger, you know, I we're high school street sweethearts. I, I I don't have any academic background. I don't have any business knowledge. He's the one who handles all our finances. I've never done any kind of investor anything. I don't know anything about it. You know, the only thing I know about a market is a supermarket. <laughs> you know? 
<laughs> so like, well, we're the best person for this then. You, you don't have any baggage and you don't have, you're going to be likely to follow directions. And as someone who follows directions is who's going to get the better. She's like, you, really? You think I can do this? Of course you can. So she does. Four months later, she's running circles around her husband, who's the engineer. <laughs> That's funny because I sympathize with the poor engineer. Like, I want to know why. Yeah. Like, like the knowing the why is what's important to me. And I don't know why that is the case, but I just, I don't know. I don't want to just do something because it works. Like, that right. just, that feels not so, that doesn't feel fulfilling, I guess, is the... Yeah. It's a trap. I have to tell you, uh-huh. it's a trap. It's kind of like, you know, are you going to uh, go under the hood of your car and, yep. and, and, and kind of get in there and just break it apart to figure out why, why it gives you the performance? Or are you going to just kind of read the manual, get in there and really enjoy the car? If you really have to get under the hood and really kind of reverse engineer how these, how this manufacturer was able to deliver this kind of performance, you know, you're going to- You don't find up. that fascinating? It's fascinating, <laughs> but it's, it's not productive. <laughs> it probably isn't productive. I, yeah, I can't argue that, but I still want to know. <laughs> I know. I know. It's a trap. And, and I, I actually ask people that question because I've learned that my, typically with engineers, they, they really mm-hmm. struggle with, with uh, following instructions. And, and they often will say, well, I'm following instructions. And I look at that and I go, okay, show me. And I go, well, that's not anything I taught you. Well, yeah, but, oh, yeah, but, no, yeah, buts. I don't have, the yeah, buts don't work with me. That's not, you're not following directions there. <laughs> it's very simple <laughs> stuff. You're not doing it. Right. So, so yeah, that's a trap. And, and if you have to do that, now I do explain, I don't go into the pri- proprietary, you know, how I put everything together, but I, I do explain how it works, you know, and why it's working, right? Mm-hmm. People, you know, you, you get the philosophy behind it. You understand kind of the, the, the fundamental aspects, the, the building blocks. And it's kind of, you know, it's interesting, by the way. Hmm. It's kind of like having a set of Lego uh, Lego blocks, you know, and, yeah. and you you can build anything with it, a toy, uh, you know, a tree, a house, a car, you know, something, you know, Spaceship. and so um, <laughs> people want to want, like, especially the engineers will think, well, uh, can I turn this into an algorithm? Well, algorithms are, are things that you, you know, you have to define all these things. And yeah, you could use AI and machine learning and neural networks and all this stuff. And that's all fancy, but we don't. We're not. We're not likely to see in our lifetime. The even quantum computers right now don't have the ability to interpret context like the human mind can. Okay, mm-hmm. it's very difficult for. So you know, it, it knows the definition of the word runs, R U N S. But now, if I use the word runs in an entirely different context, it's going to mean an entirely different thing. So my nose runs, my car right. runs, the water runs, the boy runs totally different things right same word so but the human mind instantly can see the boys running instantly can see the cars running the water's running my nose is running and so that's what allows us to actually be valuable and who wouldn't want to be valuable i mean think about this skill set this is a skill set where nothing and no one can replace you right? You cannot become obsolete. You're not in danger of losing anything. And this is where you have the most control of your life because all you need is a reliable laptop and a stable internet connection. You could be on the moon. You don't even care, right? And you can run this and and cash flow the market and build wealth if you want, do whatever you want. And one of the, by the way, that leads me to another important point, guys, a lot of people think I want to trade for a living so I can have my, my time freedom and trade wherever I want. I'm not geographically, you know, right. Trading for a living is not a healthy goal. What you want to do, because if you're doing it right, remember I told you earlier, here's a hint. I said, you're going to be saying no eight, nine times out of 10, right? Mm-hmm. So that makes it a boring endeavor. 
So you really have to be, and that's why I tell people it doesn't take more than 10 to 15 hours a week, okay? And you really don't want to spend any more time than that because you'll, you'll self-sabotage. And you don't need more time than that because of the consistent compounding of the account. It turns into something very impactful at the end of the year. But here's the thing. If you come at this and say, I'm going to utilize this, the consistency, to replicate and ultimately replace my primary full-time job income through this part-time effort, whether it's early in the morning or at night or middle of the day, whatever, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Then what I would do is now, once you've done that, go to the next step, continue to compound that account because it's going to mean way more. And it's going to compound more rapidly at that point and take the abundance above and beyond what you need and start growing that and putting it into passive income yielding investments. So you never have a time in your life where you need to trade. Let's because right. sometimes life throws you you know, a curveball, and you're like, you, you know, you're out for a month or three months or something happens, God forbid. And you're, you know, you, you, you don't want to come back to the market feeling behind and stressed and pressured to trade because now guess what? You're under pressure. And if you're under pressure, guys, think of like, I know you guys know how to drive cars. So if you, if you drive a car and you're driving to an important appointment and you're late, you're going to drive that car very differently than if you're arriving early. <laughs> you're going to be more aggressive. Yep. Pressure has a funny way of making us do stupid things and we get ourselves into trouble all the time. Sometimes it's a life-altering event. So I, I, I really guard clients against, you know, hey, don't ever put yourself in that situation. So get to a place where now your passive income replaces your need to even trade, right? Mm-hmm. Now, when you trade, that's really abundance. Now you can talk about, now I feel wealthy and I can, you know, if, you, if I want, now if I want to splurge, I'm in the mood to do something, you know, like I want to ride a private jet and take my family to Hawaii. Okay. You're doing, but you're not, you're not taking out of anything you'd feel guilty about. Right. Right. So it, it's, that's a much healthier way. And I, I'm a big advocate to live below your means and really enjoy, you know, the, the, I mean, live well, but, but, in, but, you know, enjoy your life, your time freedom. Don't create more things that require more overhead, more maintenance and more, you know, more out of you. Right. Live life. <laughs> on your terms. Now for some people, you know, they, they want the, the high life and that's fine. But I would just say, try not to live your life, you know, impressing others. W- what makes you happy? Hopefully it's not impressing others. <laughs> I think, and is it George that always says uh, that all traders turn into investors eventually? Yeah, yeah that's ideal. Yeah. It's what you want. <laughs> So uh, before we go, then the last thing I wanted to ask you about, we mentioned it briefly on there. You said that you might be uh, putting together a book. Uh, yeah, actually, um, I'm I'm in the currently in, in the in the, the process of writing a book, and uh, you know I'm hoping that I can get it done and published over the next nine to twelve months. And yeah, just uh, I, you know one of the biggest painful feedback that I get from people is Roger, why don't I know about you? How come I, I I wish I knew about this. If I'd known about this a few years ago, I wouldn't have, you would have saved me so much pain and, and heartache and cost. And it's like, so I, I, cause I'm not a marketer, you know, I, I'm, I feel very humbled and I feel very privileged that you guys and others like you, are, you know, want me on to interview me and, and, and kind of share this message, but I'm happy to share, but I, you know, I just I don't want to turn into a salesperson and, and market this right. stuff. I, I enjoy that the you know. By the way, ninety percent of my clients are all word of mouth referrals from existing clients. That that should that says a lot right there. Oh yes, it does. So um, <laughs> I thought a book would be a helpful way to kind of say, hey, I've got a book out, you know, and and if people know the book is out, that might give them an opportunity to realize there is something out there that can help eliminate the uncertainty, give them control, give them consistency that they seek, you know, once and for all. No excuses. You know, it's been, I've had 40,000 plus trade, trade reviews I've done now mm-hmm. uh, by over 200 uh, of my clients over, over the last 12 years now, 10, 11, 12 years. 
Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just, this is consistency, robustness. It's based on principle. It just never changes. I've never once tweaked, updated, modified, or fixed my, my method. It's been the same boring wow. thing that I've, I've developed back in 2010. It's just never changed. It's just, it's like, it's, it's as constant as gravity. So yeah, I, I hope that through the book and, and, uh, you know, show a show like yours will help get the word out and help more people realize there are options that they can um, take back control and not keep chasing the next new thing in the market. You want to tell everybody where they can uh, find out more? Yeah, actually, you know, uh, a wonderful place to go is marketforecastingacademy.com where they can access a five-day mini course uh, primer or primer. Some people, you know, I, I call it primer. Some people call it primer. <laughs> but uh, either way, uh, it's a little uh, mini five-day course. You can binge watch and go through it if you want. But it, it, it details everything that you would want to know about demand and balance arbitrage and what's behind it, what makes it work, what, what's the engine behind that. Mm-hmm. And with a lot of proof, visual examples, testimonials, everything they want. Um, and, and at the end of that, if they like what they see and they feel like it's something for them and they, they meet their minimum requirements, they can uh, apply for the mentoring program, and they will be interviewed and have an evalu an honest to god evaluation with me directly. Um, I don't I don't you know delegate the stuff off. I really care about individuals, and um, I'm genuinely you ask anyone who knows me. I, I really a lot of my clients really end up becoming best friends and and like family to us. And and we just had a client come spend ten days with his daughter here at our home, which is great. And we're gonna have another client with his wife come spend a week and. It, we frequently have guests here. Um, we, we just love the interaction. That's really how we've designed our life. We don't have any kids, my wife and I, so we enjoy hosting and just um, taking care of uh, others. It's a lot of fun. So, yeah, I hope you guys uh, look into it, marketforecastingacademy.com. I will stick that in the episode description so everybody can find that. I also find you on LinkedIn. Yeah, I'm also on LinkedIn. Roger Corey USA, it looks like. I'll put links for that in the episode description yeah. as well. Make it easy for everybody. Thank you. All right. Roger, this has been a lot of fun, very informative. Thank uh, you. Said a lot of things that uh, we can definitely resonate with. That's yeah. awesome. I really enjoyed my time with you guys. You guys had a lot of fun. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. Thanks for coming on. Uh, Dan, you got anything you want to add before we uh, close this up? Uh, no. Thanks for coming by, Roger. It's been great having you. Great talking to you. You definitely uh, you. Uh, yeah, spoke spoke right to my, my emotions there. <laughs> and uh, folks, thank you for sticking around to the end of the episode. We'll be coming back at you soon with a regular regular recording. But until then... Happy trades. Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks in the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.